got to do it himself. Thomas, shake, crossover, step back. And DeBronto, young, safe, and Washington wins it. Taking nobody home, picked off by Miller. Goes ahead, lanes on the other wing. He finds oh! Welcome. We're live for another exciting episode of On the Line, a college basketball podcast. As always, I'm joined by Ben. Tonight, we're going to discuss how we got here. The Final Four in New Orleans. We have a blue blood Final Four to the core in arguably, actually, you know what? I'm not even going to say arguably. I'm going to definitively state it, Ben. The greatest Final Four site out there in college basketball, New Orleans. I'm going to be in attendance Saturday. I can't wait for it. We have the Tobacco Road rivalry in the Final Four. First time meeting in, you know, together like this in the NCAA tournament. Not only do we get that, we get it in the Final Four. All the stakes on the line. Coach K last season. I, I mean, let's just start there. Let's let's get into it. I, I don't even want to preview the show now. I, I just, <laughs> I just want to discuss it. Yeah, I mean, Tobacco Road rivalry. In the Final Four. Coach K's last season, it doesn't get do we, better. Do we have game times yet? Do you know? It, like, do we yeah, know? What, the Duke game's gonna be the late game. I, I mean, I kind of, I kind of just assume that. I, yeah. I mean, it makes the most sense, definitely. So let's. Before we get into that, do you want to just discuss kind of how we got here, though? Yeah, let's go ahead. Well, let's um, go region by region. Let's start yeah. with the South. You know, we're in the South, representing New Orleans. Uh, what what storyline stood out to you in the South? I thought, um, you know, Villanova continuing their consistency. They've been on this last couple of years, but also a couple of programs solidifying themselves as kind of national power, not powerhouses, but national brands that are here to stay in college basketball for the next decade. And that was Houston and Michigan. Uh, you know, Michigan had a tough regular season off of their last year where they were a number one seed. But, man, they really brought it tournament time. They showed their pedigree. Hunter Dickinson showed why, you know, he's regarded as one of the best players in the country. I thought Jawan Howard did an excellent job of coaching this team, especially early whenever the uh, Devontae Jones was out. And then Houston, man, Calvin Jones, Calvin Sampson just keeps getting disrespected. No one talks about him when you talk about best coaches in the country. I think he's probably the best coach in the country with the job he does every single year, including this year without his two best players. All those guys contributed. I mean, I'm thinking about Shed and Fabian White right now. Those guys stepped up huge. 
the, the way they play team basketball, the, the intensity they play with, and the teamwork that they show consistently year after year is incredible. And Houston and Michigan aren't going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, Houston's, Houston's proven they're one of the most physical teams in the country. And that culture and that identity, I, I think, is here to stick. You know, that's they, they kind of have their MO now and, and they have a brand of what is Houston basketball, which is funny because when you think of Houston basketball, maybe 40 years ago, which is hard to believe that this was 40 years ago when they had Hakeem um, and Faisal and Jamma. Now we're now where we are now, where they're just this rugged, tough team crashing the offensive boards, almost a pucks on net philosophy. It's it's pretty crazy. And then obviously Michigan with Juwan Howard, you know, the the step up in recruiting, but also they were playing basketball well at the right time. And I I, I agree with you that Juwan Howard and Michigan are, are here to stick. So to me, those those definitely stand out. And we'll get into Villanova later, obviously. You know, I was completely wrong on Villanova this year. I said they're probably going to be a first weekend flop. Maybe it's maybe they'll be lucky to get to the Sweet 16. They've they've proven me wrong, and you know, I know you were pretty critical of them as well. Yeah, I mean, they impressed this tournament. Uh, they never really slipped up. I think almost every single team in this tournament had a weak spot here and there. I didn't see it out of Villanova the whole tournament. They played solid, even when they didn't shoot well. You know, even when shots weren't going down, they always make their free throws. They always make their layups. They always consistently get guys open. And um, back in back in the Final Four, it's been an incredible decade for Villanova basketball. To play devil's advocate a tad bit, though, you and I did mention how Tennessee and them would have been a good matchup, as well as the, the fits that Arizona would give them. So the fact that they kind of avoided two teams that potentially matched up a little bit better with them with both guard play and length. Um, yeah, they were in that, two very good stylistic matchups in the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight. Absolutely. Well, let's let's get into the East now. Um, kind of bouncing all over the bracket, but it's our show, so that's what we're going to do. Um, East, I mean, it really just boils down to, to St. Pete's, right? You know, I mean, what's there to say? that They, they captured everyone's heart. But as I was telling you a little bit before this, for me, it's also who they beat to get to where they are. And it's not like they just caught teams at the wrong time. And, you know, this team had guys hurt or they they were just playing great basketball. And not only were they playing great basketball, it's not like there was one guy going supernova or they were just hot and, you know, they couldn't miss from the outside. They were doing on the defense vent against elite talent, which really speaks volumes to their coach Shaheen Holloway and and really their defensive philosophy and what they do on the X's and O's. They they play f- phenomenal straight up man to man defense, but they also know how to help without fouling, which is is very difficult for you to help the way they help and force the turnovers that they do without fouling. It, I mean, that's that's really all you can ask for from a team that's built like that. Yeah, I mean, the teams they took down with the talent that the, that Purdue and Kentucky and even Murray State have, awfully impressive. Um, Shaheen Holloway coached circles around every single team they played. They just didn't quite have the talent uh, running to a buzzsaw offensively against North Carolina today, but the job he did against Purdue, Murray State, and Kentucky was pretty incredible. Um, outgunned down low in the Kentucky and Purdue game, 
figured out ways to defend, figured out how to double without getting killed on the outside. Just awfully impressive. Um, Doug Edare and some of the other guards making some huge shots at the end of the games. Their big man, I thought, played extremely well in the Purdue game as well. I don't even want to try to say his name. I'm gonna huh? Endora. Endora, something like that. Yeah, he's he played awesome. He played incredible. I, I, I saw that he was game. like he's he was three time Metro Atlantic defensive player. I mean, yeah. he's he was incredible, and, and that really he kind of allowed them to to really be in the games that they were in because I was worried about just the pure size matchup, but he went against Trayvon Williams and Zach Eady. He went against Oscar Schwebway. And he, he didn't back down from anyone. He went against KJ Williams and Murray State. So he he kind of helped them tremendously on this run. Obviously, another huge storyline. Um, North Carolina, you know, I, I mean, where they were to, to start the season and throughout it, and now where they're finishing, they, they peaked at the right time. Um, Caleb Love went supernova at times, but the guy, the guy who just caught my eye is Brady Manick. You, you realize that Brady Manick played with Trey Young, who is now who got in a you know Trey Young got an extension this summer, five years, two hundred seven million dollars. Yeah, Brady Manick's been around a while, and uh, this was just a perfect fit for him uh, alongside. Uh... Armando Baycott, who really handles all the dirty work. He floats around the outside. He's got guards that can get dribble penetration and get his guy to leave him, and his, his catch-and-shoot ability is incredible. Yeah, and, and to me, Ben, that's what college basketball is all about. You know, Trey Young, he's a household name. Everyone's going to know him, but here's Brady Manick, who came in as a freshman with Trey Young, and now he has his own moment, and he's got his own kind of career that he's carving out, and I mean, hey, he's tall and can shoot threes. There's there's going to be spots in the NBA for that. You know, I, I see a little Garrison Matthews to him. I agree. Um, and you're talking about UNC catching fire at the right time. They got killed in the ACC tournament by Virginia Tech. Yeah. They played terrible. They scored 59 points in that game. But right out of the gate, very first game against Marquette, they showed that something had changed in that interval of time. The way they were shooting the ball, the way they were playing with confidence on the offensive end. Frankly, they're just showing a lot more effort on the defensive end than they showed all the season. They're at least hustling. They're still not great defensively. They're at least hustling. They at least have Leaky Black to put on the other guy, other team's best player to kind of uh, slow them down. So they do have that, but they're just showing a lot more effort, I think, on the defensive end. Armando Baycott's been really great as a rim defender, and he wasn't he wasn't that the whole season. So. Something happened. Hubert Davis did something with this team between the ACC tournament and uh, the start of the NCAA tournament, and it showed up immediately in that Marquette game, continued into the Baylor game. They they almost lost in the Baylor game. I mean, this, this is every NCAA tournament. There's some team at the end that was so close to losing. It was insane, but they powered through that game without two of their best players. I thought that was awfully impressive. I thought that was the highlight of their tournament it was the overtime period against Baylor. No Brady Manic, no Caleb Love. R.J. Davis really found a way to pull that game out against Baylor, and they've never looked back. I mean, that's definitely going to be a uh, one one shining moment. Moment. That's that's definitely going to be playing. Let's move on to who they're going to be playing, and and that's in the West. Duke. 
I mean, they, they did it. This is this is NCAA's dream. This is CBS's dream. Duke in the Final Four going against Carolina. Um, I mean, that is the storyline, obviously. And then on the other side of it, it's kind of Gonzaga and and that letdown against against Arkansas. Um, and not really only just that letdown against Arkansas, but they didn't play a good game in the tournament, man. No, they didn't play a single good game in the whole tournament. I thought I thought Timmy really pulled them through that Memphis game and they would have lost. And Timmy really kept them in the Arkansas game. I thought Timmy showed up throughout the tournament. Their guards and their wings, I thought were extremely poor. Nebhard had warned one... you about I warned you about Nebhard. He had he had a good game in the Memphis game, uh, but the, the other games he was not good. You know, those freshman wings and those transfer wings just didn't didn't show up. But they I don't know if they didn't have the experience and weren't ready for it, but uh Strother and uh Bolton just really didn't play well, didn't shoot the ball well. Yeah, Gonzaga maybe peaked too early. Maybe, maybe they peaked too early, but they never really played at a level during the season like they did last year, where I thought this team's going to the national championship. This team is one of the two best teams in the country. They just had so much talent that you believed they could do it, but they never really gelled together as a team specifically on the wings where I, I thought they were going to be unbeatable. And, you know, if you show up playing poorly against the Arkansas team with Eric Musselman, he's going to take advantage of that. They're not going to, they're not going to uh, take, they're not going to not take advantage of your mistakes. Arkansas thrives on that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, they, they got killed that game. You, you can't not show up against Arkansas. Agreed. I will say about Duke as well. We, we talk about UNC coming out on fire the first game. Duke, I didn't think Duke hit their stride until probably the second half of the second half in the Texas Tech game. <laughs> I mean, they were playing well, but the second, the last 10 minutes of that Texas Tech game, something, something a flip switched. I don't yeah, know what and- happened. Paolo and Jeremy Roach just started playing unbelievable basketball. Yeah, because, I mean, they were, they were kind of playing with fire against Michigan State. And I I remember thinking, oh, I, I kind of want them to beat Michigan State because Texas Tech is such a bad matchup for them. They'll probably get blown up by Texas Tech. And if they don't lose to Texas Tech, surely they'll lose to Gonzaga. But it's like, like you said, and a, I think, a, a I think we're right. switched. Duke had Texas to find Tech. their highest level to be able to get out of that Texas Tech game. I mean, Texas, right. if they did not find that high level, Texas Tech was going to win that game. But they just—I don't know what happened, man. Jeremy Roach was unreal in that tech. I don't know if they missed a field goal in the last five minutes of that Texas Tech game. I think that is the stat. It, it might have—it honestly might have been longer. I, I think I saw eight. Like, like they—they they just they could not miss against Texas Tech, and then against Arkansas, they completely seized control of that game. Um, so then on the flip, obviously Gonzaga just kind of melted. But we'll talk about that a little bit later let's let's get into the midwest because the story here was that um no one peaked really no one in the midwest decided to show up uh you know lsu and and wisconsin both just collapsed on the bottom side of the bracket and then top side yeah yeah sorry auburn as well um i mean auburn just you know i mean race yeah, J- Jim Laranega coach. I mean, talk about coaching circles around people. Jim Laranega embarrassed Bruce Pearl because Bruce Pearl still does not know that Jabari Smith's his best player. Um, yeah, I, I mean, th- this w- and, and the funny thing is, usually when you look at a bracket, 
Um, and, and we say like, oh, this is going to be the best region. And this is going to be the region where there's not, there's not going to really any strong teams. It doesn't work out that way, but it really worked out with the Midwest. We kind of identified this region to start the tournament as a region where, there's not a lot of great teams in it. You know, you had Providence who had like what the seventh, eighth best odds, and they were a four seed. Iowa Providence meet- actually showed up. I thought Providence exactly. That's, played that's pretty the funniest well. part. Is they were the only really team the only- outside of Kansas that kind of showed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the the team that challenged Kansas the most when you really look back at it was Creighton. Absolutely, and you think about what would have happened if they had Kalkbrenner in that game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, could we be looking at <laughs> three blue bloods in Creighton? Of course. Or three the blue bloods, bloods in of... Providence or three blue right. bloods in Miami. Yeah. Um, how, how crazy that would have been. But we'll discuss the final four. I do want to discuss all tournament team. Um, you and I both agree on the, on this consensus right here. And then we have some honorable mentions for guys where or maybe we were flirting with um, to start. You got to go with Paulo. I mean, he's he's played himself into potentially number one conversation, and if he he wins the national title, you're you're looking at, um, you know, maybe he is the number one pick, or he could just be like Carmelo Anthony, where he does the whole thing and he gets picked like what third overall. Where did Melo go? Did he even Mello go third? somewhere in there? Yeah, I mean, he wasn't he wasn't the first pick. Um, so yeah, I mean Paulo's Paulo's been unbelievable. He's got to be on on all tournament team. Then the other guy, um, the the man with the best gluteus Maximus in college basketball, Connor Gillespie, who's gonna he he's backing me down right now, Ben. Um, he he's been unbelievable, and I I said that I don't think this is a sustainable form of offense. And every which way, Connor Gillespie has been proving me wrong, and he's he's an outstanding point guard. And you know, I, I don't always agree with his strategy, but it, it works. And it's Who's not even the- him scoring the basketball; it's the way he organizes the offense, the way he gets the ball whipping around, sharing it to everybody. They always seem to get a good shot, and he's at the snake head of that. You're probably more equipped to talk about this next guy on the team. Um, you've been you've been on him all year long and, and saying that he's really going to be the only scoring opportunity for Houston. So why don't you why don't you get the synopsis on man? Jalen Shed in some of these games that Houston played this year or this tournament really kept him going offensively. You know they had the defense, you know they could defend as a team, but they needed a little bit of outside shooting. Jalen Shed provided that along with his stellar defense. I thought that he was extremely good in this tournament and he um, you know really took over that point guard position when Marcus Sasser went down he provided a lot of ball handling a lot of distribution and made a ton of big three-pointers he he was awesome I thought he was a key part of Houston you know because as good as defense as you play you still have to put the ball in the basket to win games yeah and someone who did put the ball in the basket and put the ball in the basket at a high high rate uh, the the fifth six year senior I don't even know how many years he's been in college Brady Manick he um you know we're gonna look back at this UNC team Ben and and say how how were we this wrong you know did we overreact to to some of these losses did we over underreact to some of their wins I think at the end of the day the biggest reason North Carolina has gone on this run 
and potentially keeps going on this run is is Brady man like he's he's been unconscious like he cannot miss and I I'm kind of flabbergasted that teams are just helping off of him just just face guard the guy like it's gotten to the point where as a coach you have to face guard him on the perimeter and just say do not leave him like if if the if your help defender like if your help side gets blown by oh well we got to play better on ball defense because you can't keep leaving Brady Manic open he's at the point right now where the second he catches and shoots you just kind of assume it's going in yeah he is 16 of 32 from the three-point line in this tournament 28 in the Marquette game 26 in the Baylor game 13 in the UCLA game and 19 today against St. Peter's. Also, the amount of minutes he's playing. He played 38 minutes in the UCLA game and 39 minutes today. He's on the court all the time, it seems like. Getting rebounds, had 8, 8, 11, and 5 rebounds. But, man, him in the corner on a catch-and-shoot three is just – it's automatic at this point. He has been playing unreal basketball. And he's been uh, improving his defense as well. I haven't noticed him getting really exposed as much as I did during the regular season and really hunted down. I thought he's been playing a lot better. He's been competing on the boards. And he's been making a lot of hustle plays to go along with his great shooting. But uh, as good as Brady Manic has been, uh, UNC would not be in the Final Four today without that Caleb Love performance at the end of the UCLA game. Yeah, I mean, you want to talk about a player going mano a mano and and just taking over. Um, the only really the only performance I could really think of when I saw this was Trey Burke when when he went nuclear for Michigan. That's the kind of performance he was having. He was, you know, a lot of people said, "Oh, he was taking tough shots, taking bad shots." Is something I saw in Twitter. I would agree. <laughs> I don't like. I, I actually don't because he was in such a rhythm. He was shooting all those shots under such control. Like it wasn't like he was, it wasn't like he was out of control taking those shots or he was forcing them. He was just in such a rhythm and so in the zone that it really didn't matter to me. Um, I, I, I don't know how UCLA let him do that. You, you have to force the ball out of his hand, but that's beside the point. There was one possession where he shot three straight 30 footers. The okay. first two, yeah, they got I, offensive I, I, rebounded in the last one he made, and that tied the I, game. I do remember that. I do remember they, that. That tied right. the game. I was just right. like, what is he doing? That's and fair. Then no, that's fair. That's he hit fair. the last one, tied the game, then came back down, got a little pick, took a step back, hit that one. They went up three, and they never looked back. Yeah, it's it's more of that step back three that I was talking about because you're right. He did have that one possession where it was like, okay, you are you are heat check territory now. Um, but who are some honorable mentions that – they, they could catch her eye throughout the tournament. Well, you know, Miami was in this lead eight, and they could not have been here without Cameron Mcgusty and his scoring ability. Also, the pressure he puts defensively on the ball handler, specifically in the Auburn game. Him and Isaiah Wong were all over the Auburn guards. He was incredible. Another guard, Jeremy Roach for Duke. I, I thought he won. I thought he just flat out won the Texas Tech game. We were talking about the Caleb Love performance to win the UCLA game. Jeremy Roach did a lot of the same. He was getting switched on the bigger guys, taking him off the dribble. It was basically like NBA stuff where Luca just gets a switch on a favorable matchup and he, everyone else gets out of the way. And this is on a team with what? Four dudes on the on the floor that are gonna get drafted higher than him. Is he even gonna get drafted? I don't know. But Jeremy Roach had the ball in his hands and everyone was clearing out for him at the end of a Sweet 16 game. 
against probably the best defensive team in the country. His performance was incredible. I know you want to talk about uh, the mustache, the mustached killer. <laughs> yeah, I mean Doug Eater. Um, the the thing about Dougie Buckets is it's it's really twofold. One, how he whips his hips around and his feet around perfectly squared to the goal on his catch and shoot coming off of screens is is textbook. It's unbelievable. It's a thing of beauty. And then the other thing for him is just like in the last five minutes, I mean, you caught him on TV saying it against Purdue. He he says it's, it's go time, but that's really what, what it's felt like. It's, you know, I, I mean, I said St. Peter's doesn't really have, like they don't really have, have a guy in terms of, oh, you know, all right, everyone get out the way. We, we have our savior. He just dropped 32 tonight. And, you know, we're going to look back at this team and say, oh, how do we miss? And Doro, you know, five, five-time all-star, but like he he's just so in control in the last five minutes. And and what really impressed me every time I watched him, whether it was against Kentucky or Murray State or Purdue, despite having such a great three-point shot, he doesn't force it. He's always within the, in the realms of the offense, and that's really impressive when you factor in he's doing this in crunch time as a 15th seed, and it's very easy for him to kind of fold to the pressure. Um, you know, so hats off to him and, and hats off to the to the Peacocks, man. Yeah, the, the next guy on the honorable mention list. I mean, we, neither of us, neither of us want to talk. We don't about like him, but we have to respect him. He'd been in four straight double doubles and played incredible defense for an Arkansas team that made it to the Elite Eight. It was Jalen Williams, and as much as we don't like it, he he set a lot of charges and got a lot of possessions going the other way. But four straight double doubles while you're providing rim rim protection for a team with JD Note, who never really got it going in in any of the games. So they really had to rely on that defense. And uh, Jalen Williams had to supplement a lot of scoring. I thought he was really good. But I think probably the best big man in the tournament was Hunter Dickinson, the way he was able to assert himself in some of these games, specifically the Tennessee game. I thought he was the difference maker. I thought he even played pretty well in the Villanova game. He just missed a couple of gimme layups. But he really showed up this tournament as well. Uh, I thought he was the best big man in the tournament. Casey, are we, are we going to take a look at these final four games real quick? Or are we going to break them down a little bit? We have to. Um, and before we do, I just I just wanted to ask, have you looked at the lines yet? Yes. You have. Okay. I was going to do a quick guest lines with you, but um, why don't you break down the lines? Because I, I haven't. I have not looked at the lines. So initial thoughts, um, I'm kind of seeing this as blind. So give me, um, give me the big three, money line, spread, and over under. Kansas is a four-point favorite over Villanova. Uh, the, the over-under is 133. And then Duke is minus four and a half, and the over-under is 151. <laughs> Oof, that's a high over-under. I know, um, but the way these teams are shooting the basketball, I think they have to put it that high. Well, I'll, I'll discuss that in a little bit. Um, my initial thoughts on the Kansas game are I'd lay the points of Kansas because Justin Moore is obviously out with 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 the torn Achilles. I keep saying that Connor Gillespie can't keep just backing down people, 
but it's not like Remy Martin's an elite defender. He could back to Remy Martin all he wants. Uh, yeah, unless they put Christian Bond on him, and then we have Christian Bond will get on him. Yeah, no, but that's Bill I Self. Could, if you're listening, what you should be put Christian Braun on him. I could definitely see. Um, I could definitely see Gillespie hunting uh, Dewan Harris and Remy Martin down in the post, and that not being a good matchup. But I, I think you're right. I just think the way Kansas is playing, they just have a little bit more talent on, on the wings. They have a little bit more shooting than Villanova, specifically with Justin Moore going down. And I've already laid the four points with Kansas. Wow. Okay. I, well, I'm probably going to do the same because I do like Kansas in this game. And it boils down to, I'd say, I don't know if they're going to be able to stop McCormick on the inside for Kansas, the big guy. And I think Agbaji is kind of going to take over in terms of driving to the lane. I will say Caleb Daniels homecoming can't be ruled out. Just saying. It's true. That's true. Uh, well, what do you think about the Duke UNC spread? Uh, I think that I like Carolina puts the points. I love the under and I get it. Classic cliche. Oh, teams can't shoot in open air. And, you know, you're playing in a football stadium. How is that going to react to these players? I know it's kind of cliche, but it, it does play. I mean, we, we've seen it time in, time out. You see it at the high school levels, even where teams go from playing in their small high school arenas to now playing in the college arena. And and they, sometimes they can't adjust to that. And that's where you see a lot of low point totals in the state finals. And I think you're going to see that in the final four. So give me the under 151. And I'm going to I'm gonna lay them here too, man. Um, I'm probably going to lay both of these both the favorites and maybe even take them both on a money line parlay, maybe take them on a spread parlay as well. And it really just boils down to, I don't want to be that guy, but I'm going to go ahead and be that guy. I think the NCAA wants, wants coach K to win in his final season. Let's be honest. I'm just saying, I mean, am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. Uh, I, w- I will say the the final four game last year between UCLA and Gonzaga Finished at uh, 81 to 81 going into overtime. Was there even fans in that? Was there fans last year? I don't I think like there was. was. No, I mean, but there's it, not going to be as many. It was still in an open air stadium is what I'm saying. Uh, but fair. the other game obviously was really low scoring. And then I looked also at 28, uh, 2019 with uh, the Virginia and the Auburn and all those teams. Those games were low scoring. So I think you're on to something, but man – it's hard to bet the under with those sh- all those shooters on the floor on both teams. Brady Manick and Caleb Love are shooting the basketball. Incredible. One guy we didn't uh, mention for Duke was A.J. Griffin. I've been really impressed by the way he's shooting the basketball, too. Well, especially coming off the injury, too. You know, I mean, he, he got hurt. I believe that was in the Texas Tech team. He couldn't finish it. He's he's playing himself into top five, easily top ten pick. But I, I mean, AJ Griffin's one of my favorite prospects in this draft, and and we'll discuss that in the offseason. But I I love him as a prospect, and I love him as a college player as well. Me too, me too. Uh, I guess Casey, who do you think's gonna be cutting down the nets in New Orleans? It's gonna be K. 
I just, I told you last week, uh, it, it's funny. I literally talked myself into circles last week. If you remember, I said Texas Tech should murder him. Um, but then I told you, <laughs> Kay's going to be cutting it down because as much as I can want something and as much as I can think it can happen, because I, I watched Texas Tech played all year. I watched Duke played all year. And in a vacuum, Texas Tech should run him at the building. But we're not dealing with a vacuum. We're dealing with someone who is, you know, I mean, he's he's crazy. He doesn't lose, Ben. He can't, he can't be beaten. I'm so tired of Kay, but I think he's inevitable. Like, we, we saw it with Tom Brady. We saw it with Derek Jeter. We saw it with Kobe. We, in his last performance, dropping 60. You see it with LeBron all the time. Some of these guys are just inevitable, man. And I, I think Kay's inevitable. I think he's one of them. And it's going to pain me, but Duke's going to cut it down. I'm kind of have hopped on this Carolina wagon. I just feel like the way they shoot, they're shooting the basketball collectively as a team is going to be really hard to, to stop them. I am worried about them playing defense, but the way Baycott's been def- uh, defending the rim lately, I think also that'll probably... Black. <laughs> hey, look, look, look I, I tweeted this, and I, I kind of I want your opinion. I think Leaky Black's going to actually have a very successful NBA career. I really do. I think he's, a, he's an all-world defender, and a team's going to take a chance on him, and they're probably going to develop those offensive skills. Um, he's probably going to be in the league for five, eight years. If you put Leaky Black right now in, like, let's say a North Carolina, a Texas, a California, like, 5A, 6A league, do you think he could average 20 points? Like, like respectfully, like, no disrespect to, to, to Leaky Black. Do you think he could average 20 points? I don't know, man. His jump shot. His jump shot actually doesn't look bad. It just That's never not- goes in. Exactly. That, that is my concern with him as a prospect. I do watch him, and it's not like he's he's got this Michael Kidd Gilchrist jump shot. Like, no, it's, it just a, never goes in. It's a great defender, great kid, and uh, you know, I'm I'm very happy for him. No, but I got I got Hubert Davis cutting down the nets in his first season, and Roy That'd Williams be being happy, but at the same time being extremely salty. Like I feel like he was in the crowd today. They kept showing him. It was like, yes, Carolina won. And it was like, damn, I had these same players last year. I couldn't do shit. <laughs> I feel like that's what his face was like the whole game. But yeah, and every every Carolina fan can tell us, oh, no, we don't. You know, he's not thinking that he's just happy. Dude, he's a human at the end of the day. And, and if you think he's oh, not, every human least, would think the same thing, at least five percent, 10 percent salty thinking, man, I lost to Brad Davison last year. In the first round, and this this guy's gonna maybe cut down the nets in his first year. Oof. I will but, say, uh, Coach Case never never coached the Final Four in New Orleans. Really, really. Mm-hmm. So, and, and you know, JJ Reddick's gonna be there. I heard, and JJ <laughs> Reddick's definitely cursed by the city. There's no doubt about that. Yes, yes. So I will say, I think we're in agreement. The winner of the Duke UNC game is probably gonna win the championship. Correct. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, which if you're listening, put all your money on Kansas right now. Well, if you <laughs> if you put if you put your money on Duke to win the championship and Carolina to win the championship, you're gonna profit either way. That's all I'm saying. I agree. I agree. Anything else you want to tell the folks before we get out of here? No, that's it. All right. See you in New Orleans. See you in New Orleans. I'm already here, brother. See you. <laughs>